So, hey, we have a treat for you here at the Better Questions podcast. This is a little bit of a bonus. We don't normally take time to actually answer the better questions that we raise. Uh, But through the course of our conversation, um, we started to discuss how we could disagree well uh, with our guest, Titus Benton. And so we just want to let you in on part of that conversation as well, because uh, we believe this is an important enough topic that it deserves um, to be heard. And we think everyone, um, uh, ourselves included, need to hear and meditate on how we can disagree well and perhaps even admit that we could be wrong about certain things. Um, So here you are, a bonus episode on how to disagree well with Titus Benton. So I feel like we've stumbled on a couple ways uh, that we can disagree better. One is with some historical perspective, understanding that we don't live in a vacuum here. Like we've got a couple thousand years to go off of and learn from. So, and we need to learn that stuff um, so that we can see we're really kind of fighting about a lot of the same things that we've always fought about. Secondly is with some humility. I think that when I get in Facebook arguments, which happens, it seems like with increasing frequency, uh, I try to say stuff like, Hey, I could be wrong. I try to appreciate the other person for what they say. I try to avoid superlatives, uh, always, never, etc. And I try to grant that they might be right. And I try to tell them that they're raising good points when they raise good points. Like there's just, but that takes work because, you know, sometimes I'm feel really passionately about something and I'd rather go all caps and exclamation marks. But I think humility is really important. There's probably more to it than those two things. But I think that perspective and that humility are key. I know that you meant this when you said this, Titus, but I think it's important to explicitly say it. I especially think, too, with the historical perspective part, often when we hear that, we think, yeah, you're talking about hundreds of years ago, thousand years ago. But that's even true personally. Like when I get some historical perspective and I think about how much differently I look at things now than I did two years ago. If I, if I could change that drastically in two years and I look back at Chris from two years ago and say, wow, look at all the things he was wrong about. Well, how could I then be so prideful to believe that now I'm not wrong about anything that personal historical perspective should give us humility as well to recognize If it happened a year ago, it could be happening right now. So I think a lot of times this conversation gets framed as liberal versus conservative um, or as progressive versus evangelical, where it feels like it's just the conservative evangelical church getting criticized about not being willing to disagree, not being willing to welcome and interact with people. Uh, who view differently than them. And that's just not true. And I really hope um, it's clear that that's not what we're saying, because in my personal experience, the progressive liberal side of Christianity has been just as unwilling to disagree well and just as unwilling to interact 
um, and, and be among the people who view differently than them and are often not as open with the conservative evangelical side as they criticize the conservative evangelical side for not being open as well. That's, that's a great point. Um, I've heard a, uh, I'll, I'll not use their name, but I've heard uh, someone who has quite a platform on the uh, liberal side of the faith, um, basically dismissing and kind of making fun of people that believe in um, young earth and literal six day creation. And that's also not helpful. And it just, it turns people off. Like I was trying to get a friend to actually listen to what that person might have to say that's really good. And then he heard that person make fun of the other side and it, they won't listen to him anymore. Another thing that's been really helpful and important for me in learning to disagree well is doing my work to fully understand the opposing viewpoint. Because what I've seen in my own life is the, the stuff that I believe is true I've I've read lots of books on I've listened to podcasts on I've watched videos on everything I can to absorb as much information and can argue it really well. And then I hear a person drop a sentence or two that pushes back on what I think I know. And just based on that, I assume, well, they're wrong and I'm right. And here's all the reasons why without really having any understanding of what what the um, the points are behind that thought process, the motivation, how they came to that conclusion, the belief system involved. And, and how, how can I know if I'm right or wrong unless I do due diligence to understand that opposing viewpoint? And that's something that most people do not do. I'm glad you said that because I do try to read uh, from all perspectives on things that um, are controversial. Um, I do probably have books in my library that some people would go, oh, you're reading that book? Um, for instance, I read The God Delusion by Richard Dawkins recently um, because I just think it's important to be able to articulate not only what you believe, but to also articulate what you don't believe and why, so that as you encounter people, you can not only um, speak with authority on your expertise and what's not your expertise, but also to understand where people are coming from um, so that you can address them with a bit of humility. Not saying I actually do that all the time, <laughs> Uh, but at least I aspire to do that. And the key is to consume content from those in which you disagree as an active listener and not in a manner of hate watching or hate reading in the sense that you consume the information only so you can just right then and there, you know, hit the ping pong paddle back, argue with them. You just, if you're good to do that, do it out of spirit of active listening and not out of like, I can't wait to disagree with this book. I would add to that that I think that same attitude can be one that we hold in conversation. And I guess by that I mean that when I'm having a conversation with somebody with whom I disagree strongly, and maybe it's over something that's just really, really important to me, 
I think it's important that we slow down and recognize there's a reason that they think the things that they do. You know, there are life circumstances that have led them to that conclusion. Augustine comes to mind. You know, he's sort of John Calvin before John Calvin is cool. So, you know, we're we're all terrible from the womb on and totally deprived and all that kind of stuff. Part of the reason he felt that way, I mean, I'm sure it came from a thorough examination of Scripture. But before he was converted, he was a manichae, which was a form of Gnosticism that just indulged the flesh. So he he felt that way about himself. And so his experience led him to that conclusion. And so I think that it's important to understand that maybe people who are super duper conservative, in my experience, are often uh, people who lived a really rough life and had an extreme conversion and to honor Christ sort of adopted a really conservative worldview that kept them away from the things that in some cases were literally killing them or ruining their lives at least. And so approaching a conversation that's difficult with the understanding that the person that you are debating has some real life experiences that inform their views. I think that keeps the tone a little more, um, I think it keeps the tone a little more mild and conducive to actual dialogue, and it prevents things from getting unnecessarily hostile. Along those same lines, um, I heard somebody say it this way, that it's easy in the moment uh, to get road rage if you're stuck behind a car that's moving really slow and you're in a hurry and you're trying to get to where you're going. Um, But then not realize the double standard if one day you pick up a birthday cake for your son or your daughter and it's immaculate but you know you have to transport it home and so you put it in the back seat and you start driving so slowly and carefully to get that cake home in one piece and the person pointed out like if we could just remember as we're driving and as we're living that there might be a reason that that person is behaving or believing what they believe. And so the phrase they coined, which I, has stuck with me, is they might have a cake in the car. And I try, to, I try to say that whenever I'm feeling that anger well up inside of me as I'm trying to get where I'm going because I'm late, which is my fault, uh, that, okay, they might have a cake in the car or something potentially much more serious. I love that language, and the reality is when it comes to how we view God, who we think the church is, who we think belongs, how followers of Christ are to interact with the world, like we all have a cake in the car. Like we just all have reasons why we believe what we believe. And it's okay if we disagree if we can come to that disagreement with uh, the things that we've talked about, which summarized is a disposition and a posture of listening, and one that is not othering in any way. It's not one that is looking to um, attack, but it's one to that's willing to learn and receive and embrace people who aren't exactly like us and, and don't think exactly like us. And if it's not a closed-fisted issue, then even things that we care passionately about that we might disagree about don't have to be tests of fellowship or things that lead to um, division. 
I would like to add that I think we all should be upfront with the fact that our opinions and beliefs do in a large part come from experiences. And I think so many of us are quick to go, yeah, but my beliefs are found in scripture or from this objective state of authority. But we need to acknowledge well, that's not always the case. Spend 30 minutes studying neuroscience. You'll realize that's not how our thoughts develop and how our brains work. A lot of it is based on experiences, whether you're aware of it or not. And so I would just like to eliminate the spirit of, okay, but you believe that because of this emotional thing. I believe it because I have the Bible and the authority. Right. And a lot of times what they're really saying is, I have the authority based on the interpretation of the person I trusted to interpret the Bible for me and the person that I agreed with when I read their commentary, not necessarily just the Bible itself. Well, and maybe I, there have been two things that I have had to remind myself and I'm still bad at this. Like I still do a terrible job listening to debate instead of listening to understand But two things that have helped me grow uh, is is one, recognizing that coming to the conclusion that you are wrong is scary. Particularly when we are talking about something within the realm of faith, something that you have dedicated your life to, something that has impacted the way you do and don't live something that has impacted the way you view salvation that is deeply ingrained in your being for someone to come along and challenge that you have been wrong about that the whole time is scary and is threatening and it causes causes the other person to bow up understandably so so i think we have to recognize when we are disagreeing with someone, there has to be a lot of grace there because that that can be really scary. Uh, and the second thing is I've had to really think about how I view other people because I think it's just really easy for people that you disagree with to feel like they are so behind in their views. Like they are so stuck in their ways and you almost start to feel like they are less of a person than I am. They are less human than I am. They are less in the image of God than I am. And I need Jesus less than they do. And none of those things are true. And when we begin to remember that we're all equally created in the image of God and we are all equally in need of the savior and we are all equally broken that starts to adjust the starting point and drastically changes the way we disagree with people. Love it. I think what Chris said is just so the crux of this whole conversation. My wife and I were talking about this recently, by the way, if, if you ever talk about anything remotely similar to this again, you guys should totally have her on because she may not have the church history degree, but man, she's got some sharp insight to this. And one of the things she said was uh, this idea that um, historically we've been so concerned with salvation, 
Like, we are guilty before God, we need saved, so here's the checklist of things to do so we can be okay with God. And that that has put us in the situation where we have to have this checklist of things to do right so that we can go to heaven. But what Chris said and what my wife was talking about is this idea that what if we approach that from the standpoint of image bearers of God? Not, not that we have a checklist to accomplish to be saved, but that we have an image to fully realize. And what struck me historically is that is the difference between Eastern and Western Christianity. Western Christianity, which all of us grew up coming out of a tradition, Protestant tradition that is in the West, says, we're guilty. Jesus is our lawyer. He's going to get us off. And praise God he did. And so we have to be really good so we don't screw that up. That's, I mean, that's totally being unfair and overgeneralizing, but that's kind of the gist of it. In the East, they're saying, hey, you're a human, and God wants you to be fully human. And so I think when we approach it that way, we talk about our flaws differently. We talk about the distance between us differently. We appreciate each other's intrinsic value differently. And I think what's happening in the broader church right now, and I think in the world too, honestly, is there's sort of a tension between the East and the West. I think it's interesting to see which will win. I think it will have huge implications on the life of the church. And one of the reasons why I think this tension is so important is because we're really in the middle, I think, of an era that historically will be looked upon just like the Reformation. I think it's that big of a shift. In the early church, they decided what to believe. In the Middle Ages, they decided how is the church going to function and govern. And I think in our modern times, we're asking the question, who even is the church? And we're answering that question. And that's why this discussion is so important. And we get to help answer it every day of our lives, with every conversation we have, and even with the way that we disagree with each other. So I think it's really important that we do that well. 